Chapter Eight of Fighting the Flames by R. M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zena Blue. Fighting the Flames by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Eight. In the afternoon of the following day. Willie set off to the city in quest of Mr. Thomas Tippet. Having to pass the King Street fire station, he resolved to look in on his brother. The folding doors of the engine house were wide open, and the engine itself, clean and businesslike, with its brass work polished bright, stood ready for instant action. Two of the firemen were conversing at the open door, while several others could be seen lounging about inside. In one of the former, Willie recognized the strong man who had collared him on a well-remembered occasion. "'Please, sir,' said Willie, going up to him, "'is Frank Wilders inside?' "'Why, youngster,' said Dale, laying his hand on Willie's head, "'ain't you the boy that pulled our bell for a lark the other night?' "'Yes, sir, I am, but you let me off, you know, so I hope you won't bear me ill-will now.' that depends on how you behave in the future said dale with a laugh but what do you want with mr frank wilders i want to see him he's my brother oh indeed you'll find him inside willie entered the place with feelings of interest for his respect for firemen had increased greatly since he had witnessed their recent doings at the beverly square fire he found his brother writing at the little desk that stood in the window while five or six of his comrades were chatting by the fire, and a group in a corner were playing draughts and spinning yarns of their old experiences. All assisted in loading the air with tobacco smoke. The round-cloth caps worn by the men gave them such a more sailor-like and much less fireman-like appearance than helmets, which, with their respective hatchets hung on the walls, rendering the apartment somewhat like a cavalry guard-room. This change in the headpiece, and the removal of the hatchet, was the only alteration in their costume and what may be styled times of peace. In other respects, they were at all times accoutred, in readiness to commence instant battle with the flames. "'Hello, Blazes! How are ye?' said Willie, touching his brother on the shoulder. "'At you, Willie,' said Frank, without looking up from his work. "'Where are we now?' "'Come to tell ye there's a fire,' said Willie, with a serious look. "'Eh, uh, what do you mean?' asked Frank, looking at his brother, as if he half believed he was in earnest. "'I mean what I say, a fire, here,' said Willie, solemnly striking his breast with a clenched fist. "'Here in Hart Street, bosom square, raging like a fury, and all the engines of the fire brigade, including the float, couldn't put it out, no, nor even so much as squinch it. "'Then it's of no use our turning out, I suppose,' said Frank with a smile, as he wiped his pen. "'What set it alight, lad?' "'A wax doll with flaxen hair and blue eyes,' answered Willie. "'Them's the things is all long done for me. "'When I was a boy I fought in love with a new wax doll every other day. "'Not that I ever owned one myself.' I only took a squint at em in toy shop winders, and they always had flaxen hair and blue peepers. Now that I've become a man, I've been a-fallin' in love with a livin' wax doll. 
and she's got flaxen hair and blue eyes moreover she draws draws boy what does she draw corks inquires frank no replied willie with a look of supreme contempt nothing so low she draws faces and pictures like like a schoolmaster and added willie with a sigh she has been and drawed all the spirit out of this here bosom she must have left a good lot of combustible matter behind however if there's such a fire raging in it who may this pretty fire raiser be her name is emma ward and she belongs to a miss tippet to whom she's related somehow but i don't know where she got her nor who's her parents the same miss tippet is some sort of relation of mr Auberly who sent me to her with a note and she has sent me with another note to her brother near london bridge who i suppose will send me with another note to somebody else so i'm on my way down to see him i thought i'd look in to ask after you in passing and cheer you on to duty a violent fit of somewhat noisy coughing from one of the men at the fireplace attracted willie's attention at this point in the conversation what a noisy fellow you are corney remarked one of the men fay retorted corney it's noisy you'd be too av ye had the cold in your chist that i have sure and if ye'd been out five times in one night as i was on widsnay last with the branch a howled and a smoke as you'd choke back some more hisself and it's a well-known he can stand a'most anything not to spake of the hose bustin right between my two feet come come patty said dale interrupting don't try to choke us now you know very well that one of the fires was only a cutaway affair two were chimneys and one was a false alarm true for ye cried corney who had a tendency to become irascible in argument or while defending himself true for ye mr dale but they was alarms for all that false or true was they not now anyhow they alarmed me out of me bed five times in a night as cold as the polar regions and last time was a rare case of flats burnt out and four hours work in iced weather there was a general laugh at this point followed by several coughs and sneezes for the men were all more or less afflicted with colds owing to the severity of the weather and frequency of the fires that had occurred at that time there's some of us can sing chorus to corney observed one of the group i never saw such weather and it seems to me that the worse the weather the more the fires as if they got em up on purpose to kill us bill moxie cried another you're always giving out some truism with a face like solomon well jack williams retorted moxie it's more than i can say of you for you never say anything worth listening to and you couldn't look like solomon if you was ever to try ever so much you're too stupid for that i say lads cried frank wilders what do you say to send along to the doctor for another bottle of cough mixture same as the first this proposal was received with a general laugh he'll not send us more o that tipple you may depend said williams no not have we most dying said corney with a grin what was it asked williams didn't you hear about it inquired moxie oh to be sure not you were in hospital after you got run over by the baker street engine tell him about it corney 
It was you that asked the doctor, wasn't it, for another bottle? Corney was about to speak when a young fireman entered the room with his helmet hanging on his arm. Is it go on, he inquired, looking round. No, it's go back, young Rags, replied Baxmore, as he refilled his pipe. It was only a chimney, so you're not wanted. Can any of you fillers lend me a bit of tobacco? asked Rags. I forgot to fetch mine. Here you are, said Dale, offering him a piece of twist. Hain't you got a hard backy for the tooth? said Rags. Will that do? asked Frank Wilders, cutting off a piece from a plug of Cavendish. Thank ye. Good afternoon. Young Rags put the quid in his cheek and went away humming a tune. In explanation of the above incident, it is necessary to tell the reader that when a fire occurred in any part of London at the time of which we write, the fire station nearest to it at once sent out its engines and men, and telegraphed to the then head or centre station at Watling Street. London was divided into four districts, each district containing several fire stations, and being presided over by a foreman. From Watling Street the news was telegraphed to the foreman's stations, whence it was transmitted to the stations of their respective districts so that in a few minutes after the breaking out of a fire, the fact was known to firemen all over London. As we have said, the stations nearest to the scene of conflagration turned out engines and men, but the other stations furnished a man each. Thus machinery was set in motion which moved, as it were, the whole metropolis, and while the engines were going to the fire at full speed, single men were setting out from every point of the compass to walk to it with their sailors' caps on their heads and their helmets on their arms. And this took place in the case of every alarm of fire, because fire is an element that will not brook delay, and it does not do to wait to ascertain whether it is worth while to turn out such a force of men for it or not. In order, however, to prevent this unnecessary assembling of men when the fire was found to be trifling, or when, as was sometimes the case, it was a false alarm, the fireman in charge of the engine that arrived first at once sent a man back to the station with a stop, that is, with an order to telegraph to the central station that the fire turns out to be only a chimney or a false alarm, and that all hands who have started from the distant stations may be stopped. The stop was at once telegraphed to the foreman, from whom it was passed, just as the call had been to the outlying stations and the second telegram might arrive within a quarter of an hour of the first. Of course the man from each station had set out before that time, and the stop was too late for him, but it was his duty to call at the various fire stations he happened to pass on the way, where he soon found out whether he was to go on or go back. If no telegram had been received, he went on to the fire, sometimes walking four or five miles to it, at not less than four miles an hour. On coming up to the scene of conflagration, he put on his helmet, thrust his cap into the breast of his coat, and reported himself to the chief of the fire brigade, who was usually on the spot, or to the foreman in command, and found, probably, that he had arrived just in time to be of great service in the way of relieving the men who first attacked the flames. If, on the other hand, he found that the stop had been telegraphed, he turned back before having gone much more than a mile from his own station, and so went quietly home to bed. 
in the days of which we write the effective and beautiful system of telegraphy which now exists had not been applied to the fire stations of london and the system of stops and calls although in operation was carried out much less promptly and effectively by means of messengers some time before the entrance of willie wilders into the king street station the engine had been turned out to a fire close at hand which proved to be only a chimney on fire which was put out by means of a hand pump and a bucket of water while moxie was sent back with the stop to the station the affair was over and almost forgotten and the men had resumed their pipes as we have seen when young rags entered and was told to go back apologizing for this necessary digression we returned to joe corney the fact was he said that we had a fearful time of it that winter blowing great guns and snow nearly every night and what with heat at the fires and cold in the streets and hot water pouring on us at one minute and freezing on us the next almost every man jack of us was coughing and sneezing and watherin so bad at our eyes and noses that i do believe if we'd held them over the suction pipes we might have filled the engines without troubling the mains at all so the doctor he said says he lads i'll send ye a bottle of stuff as'll put ye right and sure enough down comes the bottle that night when we was smoking our pipes just after roll call turned out to be the best medicine ever was musha says i here's the top of the morning to ye boys baxmore smacks his lips when he tastes it opens his eyes tosses off the glass and holds it out for another how down fair play cried jack williams so we all had a glass round it was just like lemonade or ginger beer it was so we sat down and smoked our pipes over it and spun yarns and sung songs in fact we made a jollification of it and when we got up to turn in there weren't a drop left in the bottle you better go to the doctor for another bottle says moxie as he went out i will says i i'll go in the morning sure enough away i goes to the morning to dr offley doctor says i holding out the bottle we all think our colds are much the better o this here medicine and i've come to have ye please for another o the same musha but ye should have seen the rage he goes off into finished it all says he every drop doctor says i and one sitting at that he stamped and swore at me and ordered me away as if i'd been a poor relation and says he i'll send ye a bottle to-night that'll cure ye so sure he did the second bottle would have poisoned the rat it lasted us all six months and i do believe you'll find most of it in the cupboard at this minute av ye look come willie said frank while the men were laughing at the remembrance of this incident i'm going down your way and we'll give you a convoy we can take a look in at the gymnastics as we pass if you choose all right blazes come along so saying they left the station and set off at a brisk pace in the direction of the city End of chapter eight recording by Cena Blue